let's get started. We are going to continue our sir our Bible study series called Disciple: The Cost and Reward of Being Like Jesus. So as Christians, we are saved by Jesus and then we are given a new nature. We're given a supernatural nature. I think that's an oxymoron. The nature we're given is is from the Lord, it's from the Holy Spirit. It's not naturally what we would want to do. It is what the Lord has given to us to want to do. And so when we get saved, we now have new desires. We now have a heart that is being transplanted. The Bible says uh, we've, we've had a heart of stone removed and a heart of flesh has been transplanted back into us. Um, this means we begin to desire things that we wouldn't naturally want. And nothing is more revealing uh, in that regard than the the issue of money money reveals our heart pretty quickly um, in a lot of different ways we're gonna, we're gonna conclude our, our sort of uh, stewardship segment of disciple um, in regards to money tonight we've talked about uh, our hearts we've talked about uh, Jesus doesn't want our money last week we talked about the tithe and this week we're gonna talk about offerings because every Sunday morning I say now it's time for tithes and offerings so we're going to talk about offerings but first we're going to pray and then we're going to we're going to learn something hopefully oh lord jesus what a glorious day you've given us and it has been cold but there's no snow and lord we just praise you for that thank you so much for the body of believers you've gathered here tonight uh for those who are sick or whose uh, circumstances didn't allow them to be here please lord we, we pray for them we pray that you would bless them we pray that uh at our next uh, gathering on Sunday morning, that you would give them the ability, whether it be health or just the, uh, the, the endurance to get through their circumstances to make it here, that we may not just, uh, not just have folks in our building, Lord, but we would have um, fellowship. Koinonia, koinonia, I can't pronounce the Greek word, Lord, but, but true church that it transcends just natural relationships. And Jesus, none of this is possible without you and your sacrifice. I thank you tonight that you have created the church, that, that church is more than just about me or, or any one person. It's all about Jesus and, and the body of believers he saved. Help us to continue to preach the gospel, to understand the gospel, to absorb it, and to live it each and every day. And as we study tonight, give help me, Lord. Personally, help me to have words to teach, and may you... Open the ears of your people so that together we worship you. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. So I read a, a fascinating story last night. I get probably 95% of my news from places like Facebook and Twitter, you know, uh, news stations like NBC and, and ABC and, and CNN. They have their own Facebook accounts and they'll share news. And you can learn things that are happening as they're happening. And I read a, a, an article last night that kind of hit a little too close to home, it was a, a family and a, a group of business associates who had raised over the last few years uh, nearly $200 million for cancer. And they had three primary um, organizations. One was called the, the Breast Cancer Society. One was for pediatric cancer, and one was for cancer in general. And over the last five or six years, however long it was, they had raised $187 million dollars that is tremendous. If you if you know how little something like pediatric cancer is funded, um, all the money that the government allows 
for cancer research, 4% of it goes to pediatric cancer. So they get very little. That's a large amount of money that can really help a lot of people. Come to find out, these folks, um, about 3% actually went to help anybody. The other 97% went to more fundraising events, um, and it went into their own pockets. It uh, funded trips to Disneyland and trips around the world and cars and just whatever they personally wanted or needed at any specific time, it went to them. All in the name of giving uh, for something as detrimental as cancer. I look around the room, I think all of us have been touched by cancer in some way, shape, or form. So there's nothing that tugs at our heart faster than when we hear about someone who's going through cancer and then we have an opportunity to help them. I know for me sometimes um, it's not that I, I think that prayer lacks power, but sometimes I want to do something tangible. You know, I want to pray, but then I want to I want to cook a meal, or I want to give something. I want to I want to go where the rubber meets the road and actually be a part of something. So there's organizations that at least proclaim to want to help people, and you you think, well, they're already doing it. I'll give them a few bucks, and they'll get the job done. But we see here that somebody took advantage of that whole mindset. People who really wanted to help, um, and I, I hesitate to call them gullible because from from all appearances, these folks were actually doing the work. Um, nonetheless, they were duped out of their money. And so I did the math, 5% or excuse me, 3% of $187 million is roughly $5.5 million. So $181.5 million spent on elaborate fundraising events and their personal pockets. Now, why do I share that with you tonight? Because every one of us is going to be inundated with the opportunity to give some type of an offering to somebody, and that includes from the church. Every Sunday, uh, I'm going to um, appeal to you to give an offering of some sort, something that goes beyond that 10% tithe that we kind of use as our as our standard. We talked about the tithe last week. For people who um, are only stuck on that word word tithe, they don't understand that in the Old Testament the tithe for the for the Jew was actually something like 27%. They go with that first 10% and then just make that the hard rule that you must be giving your 10% or God won't love you or God would, you know, the devourer will get you or God won't bless you or God can't hear you because you're not giving. What we see in the New Testament, the evidence that we're giving, given is actually closer to what we're going to talk about tonight, which is the offering. Sacrificial giving. Um, for some, 1% is a sacrifice. I think about folks on fixed incomes. You know, they're living off of Social Security. And for them, 1% of that income might be the difference between having something and not having something. And so for them, the sacrifice of 1% is just as pleasing to the Lord as somebody who comes and gives 30% out of their abundance. And I shared with you the widow last week that Jesus was impressed by and used to teach his, his disciples what it meant to give and how uh, she gave her her two copper coins that didn't meet they couldn't buy anything but it was all she had to live on and she gave that in the offering to the temple 
and how Jesus was so impressed and how these other folks, they were giving out of their abundance. They were, they were giving and somebody was going to be blessed by that. I mean, I never want to discount that. If people give for the wrong reasons to the church, maybe they want fame or they want somebody to recognize them. I mean, we're not going to turn that money away. When that money comes in, you know, it's not like we earmark it. Oh, I can't spend that because that person's being a jerk about it. But we're still going to use it to pay the lights, and we're still going to use it to bless other people. God will still use that. The point is those people have lost their reward because they have given for the reward of man's praise. So we have to be good stewards with our money because people are going to ask us for it. And some are going to have legitimate reasons, whether it be, you know, the booster club for your high school. You might not, you know, you might not be a fan of football uh, in general, but you like the idea of kids participating in sports. You realize they need equipment, they need coaches, they need the facilities to be kept up, and uh, uh, giving to a booster club can really help uh, in doing a lot of those things. So it's legitimate. You may not care about it, but it's legitimate. Or you're going to have an organization that's going to collect for an illness or a sickness. And uh, you want to make sure that who you're giving to is not just making a CEO rich, that, that the majority of that money given is going to go to actually helping people, sick kids and sick adults and, and people uh, who are being cared for day and night are actually going to benefit from that giving. You're going to have the church, whether it's this church or a church on television or the radio or the Internet, they're going to make appeals to you. Please consider giving. Um, we have to be wise and discern whom we should give to and whom we should not, meaning meaning one that's a legitimate cause and concern, one that is maybe illegal or wrong or deceptive. And then we've got to make sure that that's something that the Lord wants us to do, whether it's a church or a nonprofit organization or that sort of thing. As good stewards of our money, we're called to have this type of mindset towards our money. Sometimes it's, it's, it's almost easier to write a check than it is to actually get your hands dirty. And we've got to be aware of that as well. We've got to make sure that we're not just giving money so that we don't feel guilty. Does that make sense? Sometimes, sometimes um, oh, giving somebody on the street a couple of dollars alleviates our guilt but hasn't helped them in the least. Sometimes uh, giving to an organization uh, is the easy way out rather than kind of getting involved in maybe what that organization is doing. So bring it all back to offering. What is an offering? If you go to the Old Testament and catalog all the different offerings that there were, I, I was going to try to do that tonight. And I, we're just going to get lost. Burnt offerings and wave offerings and peace offerings and free will offerings and offering offerings and, and just all kinds of opportunity for the Israelites to give on top of this 27% they were already giving. Every Jew in the nation of Israel was personally invested in the worship of God some way, somehow. And there was opportunities to come and do things like the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was they'd bring an animal to sacrifice and in some of the sacrifices, you know, they'd cook the animal, and then maybe the family would eat it together, or, or the, the temple priests would eat it. It would be their food for the day. But a burnt offering was, here's my offering, and we're going to burn it on the altar completely. There'd be nothing left over. It was very symbolic of trusting the Lord. Sometimes it would be the first animal of the season, or, or it would be the first um, crop 
to come in. And it would be this example of trust in the Lord. Lord, I trust you that, that this is not all of the crop. This is not all of my income. I offer this to you. I give this to you, trusting you. And whenever we deal with the issue of trust, there's, there's trust in the godly way and there's trust in the manipulating way. Because sometimes we want to be trusting of those who are involved in ministry or involved in a nonprofit organization. We just trust them. You know, their website looks legit and they have really nice looking pamphlets and the people speak very eloquently and they seem to be doing good work. But that doesn't equate or, or, or equal a reason to give to these people. We have to have discernment. When it comes to offering, for the Christian, this can mean so many things that we can do. Um, I think giving to the church um, in any way, shape, or form is an honorable thing, especially when that church is, uh, is a good steward itself with finances. No, no church on our planet is going to 100% of the time always spend their money exactly how they should, meaning sometimes people are going to try something and it's going to fail. And it would be wrong to stand back and say, well, you wasted our money. Well, honestly, sometimes we try things, we, we think that that's where the Lord's leading us, and it fails because, mm -hmm. well, maybe the, the lesson was in the journey, or, or I don't know. The point is, nobody went in deceiving anybody. We all thought we were going that direction, it just didn't turn out. But I've heard on the flip side of that of, of ministries who say, hey, give money for our church planting, and then say, well, we're going to use that for our day-to-day -day expenses. It's de that's deceiving. That is that is the old bait and switch. Give for this reason. Oops, we're giving we're using it for something else. Um. As as givers to the church, I believe that once the the money leaves our hands, we we don't we no longer have control over it. You know, any dollar I've given to South Bay Chapel, I've never checked up on to make sure it went where I told it to go. I you know I trust the staff here. I trust our treasurer and I, and I trust the bank that we use that when we need it, we use it and it goes to where it needs to go. Um, however, when somebody is asking for a specific reason, we want it to go towards that. So let me give you an example. This, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, we, we, uh, we take in change for care net in the baby bottles. Um, it would be wrong of us as a church to say, yeah, give those, fill up your baby bottles. We're going to give this to CareNet as an offering. And then once we gather it all up and it's a few hundred dollars, say, well, you know, we got bills to pay. You would feel and you would rightly feel like you've been taken advantage of. So we cannot do that as a church, um, nor do we do that as a church. Um, I have not been involved in a ministry where that happens. Praise the Lord for that. But we have to be wise as givers. In this sermon tonight, I sit in the same seat as you. While I'm up here, um, I have to steward what I give. Um, I have to steward it well. And I have to give it uh, with a discerning heart. And so we're going to look at the, the practicality of the offering. And I think, I said this already, I think that the offering is closer to what the Christian should do than the tithe. How do I know this? When you go to the book of Acts and you read the early church and their first response to the Holy Spirit in filling them and indwelling them, there was no pursuit of the limit or the minimum of how much they should give. It was only the pursuit to give. 
And so you have folks who would go and sell a piece of property, and then they would give all of that money, whatever it was, over to the apostles to use for the building of the church, the funding of the church, the, the, the furthering of the gospel. When you get to Galatians chapter 5, you find that the fruit of the Spirit is generosity or being generous. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so the Christian who is seeking to give, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is in them. The Holy Spirit seeks to give to us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, I believe, that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Our first reward, our, our, our first reward is always Jesus. We have been given everything in him. I've read uh, things on Facebook. Facebook is crazy. You can't put too much stock in Facebook. But you see things, people share it and that sort of thing. And uh, the idea of dreaming for big things. And I, I always kind of balk at that a little bit. It's not that you can't dream for big things. I worry about folks who dream for big things because the things are big. They, they, they dream for the big things because the things are flashy. Because they satisfy uh, the flesh in some way. I, I am a hypocrite. I love stuff. I do. I love technology. A second ago, I was just frowning. You guys probably all missed it. Because in the mail, I was sent a pen that goes with my iPad here. It's a stylus. But it said South Bay Chapel. It was a sample. And uh, I haven't got to use it yet, and I've already lost it. I just wanted to use it. I wanted to see how it worked. And all it does is replace my finger. Like, I can do the same thing with my finger that I could with this pen. But I wanted to use it. It was fun. It was cool. I love stuff like anybody, but we have to not let stuff rule over us. And for me, one of my battles is making sure that stuff doesn't become an idol. And so that, that way I can properly enjoy the stuff that the Lord blesses me with. We aren't given in the New Testament commands to tithe in the way that the Israelites were given to tithe. But we are called to something more than that. We're called to sacrificial giving. So I want us to turn first to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That will be our, our launching point. should be a, a relatively short study tonight. Um, just a few verses to go over. Because at the, at the, at the root of all of this is, is once again our heart and what we want. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. That's where we're going to start. Verse 1 says, we want you to know, brothers, and this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So God is using Paul, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to tell the Corinthian church to teach them about generosity through another church in a place called Macedonia. And in Macedonia, this church was poor. They did not have a lot of money. They didn't have big tithe givers or whatever you want to call it. They were a, a poor church and an afflicted church, meaning they faced a lot of trials and battles. They probably had high rent on their building. Insurance was very costly and nobody was giving. And in spite of that, they wanted to themselves be giving. It's very hard to give when you have nothing. Mathematically, that just makes sense, right? If you want to give $4 and you have no dollars, giving gets a little hard. But this church, rather than saying, we have nothing, 
we can't give it the lord did something in them to create not just generosity but but wealth through that generosity verse 3 says for they gave according to their means as i can testify and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the lord and then by the will of god to us paul says they gave according to their means and even beyond that so practically many of those folks gave money that probably should have went somewhere else maybe they bought a little less food that week maybe they put off a bill that they know they knew they could pay a week later I'm kind of using modern analogies for a people 2000 years ago but they did some things uh, not foolishly not putting themselves in debt or writing checks they didn't have they simply said you know what in this moment I will sacrifice um, maybe instead of doing something that they enjoyed they used that money to store it up to help the church uh, we're gonna find the church in Jerusalem that they're trying to help Paul says in verse 7 excuse me verse 6 accordingly we urge Titus that as he had started so he should complete among you uh, this act of grace but as you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of the others that your love is also genuine verse 9 for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake became poor so that by his poverty might become rich to put that practically or to put that in maybe modern terms Jesus became poor so that in the giving up of his stuff we might become rich through him and we follow that example by giving offerings or by participating in an offering we might become poor in giving what we're going to give in our offering we might we might give something that we had earmarked for ourselves you know maybe this week you're gonna buy two cans of tuna fish instead of four you know, you're going to buy one gallon of milk instead of two. You're going to buy one jar of peanut butter instead of one. These are just simple examples. But in doing so, in becoming poor, you will do that so that someone else might be blessed. There is no way that I know of, and I could be wrong, but there's no way that I know of where giving is never sacrificial and it does not cost somebody something. Every story I've ever heard of somebody saying, a check came in the mail. Someone gave me a gift. I was given a car. I was given a job. It came through the sacrifice of somebody else. Somebody paid for that. Somebody wrote a check. Somebody gave out of their, out of their means so that somebody else could benefit from it. There's no way to give without there being pain. And sometimes as a church, we try to we try to give without it being painful, without it hurting us in some way, without it making us uncomfortable. And I have yet to find a way where we can do that in a way that pleases Jesus. I go back to the widow. She gave uncomfortably. She gave in a way that sacrificed. These other people didn't. 
though they gave a lot. So Paul says that in Jesus becoming poor, his becoming poor made us rich. And if we get caught up in dollars and cents, we're, we're missing the point in this. We've become rich through Jesus. We have Jesus. We have, we have all that God treasures in Jesus so that we might, through his poverty, become rich. And then we can copy that and do that as well. So, practically, how does this work out? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Um, the first thing I would advise you to do when it comes to giving is to not look for the easy way out, the least painful way, the, the one that, that you won't really notice. I think there's a way that you can set up to make it less painful um, so that you can be able to give um, on a regular basis. Um, so that it's less of a shock, but it's still going to cost you something. First Corinthians chapter 16, and Paul deals with money in the Corinthians a lot. Um, verse 1 of chapter 16 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Excuse me. So that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. God gives us command to give. And we get caught up in the how much. And God's more concerned with how many people will give rather than how much they will give. So here's the mission that the Corinthian church was given. They were told who to help. They're going to help the church in Jerusalem. Some churches, and this is the same today as it was back then, there are some churches that are very rich, and there are some churches that are barely getting by. There are some churches that have to meet in high school gymnasiums and uh, firehouses or fi you know their, their halls and things like that because they cannot afford a building. They're just not at that stage where they can purchase land or purchase a building. Some churches can't afford to pay their staff, can't afford to pay a pastor, can't afford to pay a worship leader or a children's minister, or can't afford to um, keep the church heated properly. They're just they're not as wealthy as other churches. Some churches you go there and it's like college campuses because people have given so much. They have buildings all over the place, and you know they have elaborate worship setups and organs built into the church and it's just big and elaborate and so for Paul and for the early church the there was less separation between churches as there is now so it was not uncommon for them to say you know what let's take up a collection let's help that church let's help the church in Jerusalem so they're given this mission they're told who to help they're told how to give and when to give when first day of the week now, why did Paul choose the first day of the week? I'm sure there's some big spiritual explanation as to why. I think for the most part, it just gave everybody a point of reference. First day of the week. We might say something like, on payday. Now, for each of us, that's different. I remember when I was a kid, my dad got paid on Fridays. I thought everybody got paid on Friday. Then I got a job, and one time I got paid every other Thursday. One time I got paid every other Tuesday. Another job, it was the 10th and the 25th. It was always different. So... For us, it would be on payday, sit down, take out your check, cash or deposit, whatever you do, and then we are told how much to give 
Paul uses this very specific term, something. I'm being, um, that's a joke. He doesn't say give 10%. He doesn't say give 27%. He doesn't say give all of it. He says give something. Something. Some folks think that the church is only after our money. I point back to this scripture and say this is what we're commanded to do, to help people, to help churches, to give something. Because God, at the end of the day, is more concerned with his people giving than how much they give. Because he's going to help a ministry whether we do or not. He's going to supply for this church whether you give or not. Because he is invested in this ministry more than we are. And so really, the right way to look at this is how can I be a part of what God is already doing? What privilege, what place of privilege do I have to be a part of what South Bay or any other church is doing? The mission involves somebody to give to. And that could be a church, that could be a nonprofit, that could be a family who's struggling, it could be a single mom who's been working her tail off trying to go to school and uh, earn a living, it could be a young couple that just can't get their feet set, it could be anybody or any person that's in need. It could be a family, I know people have bent over backwards for me and my wife and kids uh, to help us in this hard season of Ethan going through cancer, we praise God for that. There are so many opportunities to give. There's no lack of opportunity. But we've got to make sure in being good stewards, who should we give to? Who should, who should we uh, come alongside through the giving of our finances or our time or our talent and give to them? And then how can we uh, do that? Well, it's going to start by looking at your finances. You know, we, can't just, we can't just spend money we don't have. I've heard of people writing out blank checks and things like that or, or, or um, post-dated checks and saying, you know, by faith, God, blah, 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 blah. No, if you don't have the money now, don't promise it then. Work with what you have. The widow worked with what she had. She didn't come in and write some big check and say, cash it in three months and the Lord will provide. She just said, here's my two copper coins and dropped them in and walked away. And lastly, determine how much you can give. I would always say look at how much you can give and you're going to try to find the safe number and just add five more bucks to it just to make yourself sweat a little bit, just to make yourself lean on the Lord. I'm not, I don't advise anybody here to go bankrupt, take out loans, anything like that. That's foolishness. Churches that would tell you to take out loans to give or to borrow money to give, that's just crazy sauce and you should not abide by any of that. But you should certainly look and see where you can sacrifice. You know, see where you can um, – this is something me and my family will do. Uh, see where you can substitute one thing for another so that you save a little bit of money so you have more opportunity to give. Um, maybe it means buying gas at a different place where you save a couple bucks. Maybe it's, maybe it's buying um, clothing at a, at a, at a less uh, – how do I put that delicately? Well, at a store that's just not as good as where you normally go. Maybe it's buying clothes at the thrift store rather than at the department store. Um, and maybe it's not going to the movies or maybe not doing something like that um, so that you might be able to help somebody else. These are practical ways to give without being foolish about your giving, to really help somebody and be a part of what God is doing. We have to be diligent in knowing who we give to. I think that it's kind of... Uh, 
put wrong. It's not the first word that crossed through my mind. first one was not appropriate for church, and I have to repent of that. But I think it's very wrong when somebody gives and then all of a sudden feels as though they're a part of your life or a part of the ministry. Hey, I gave X amount of dollars, and now I, I have authority here. No, no, you don't. You get to be a part of what's going on, but you've given that to us to use. Um, but I do think it is our obligation that if we are going to give to ask questions, what percentage of what I'm going to give is going to go towards actually helping people? How much is going towards overhead? You know, with this group that with the 187 million using a lot of that for fundraisers, you know what? Fundraisers cost money. You know, if you see a fundraiser locally, CareNet or any other organization, you know, Breast Cancer This or Relay for Life, when they hold these events, it costs money. Some things are donated or, or it's at a discount rate, but at some point they have to pay money. I don't see anything wrong with that. But is that an excuse to raise more money? And are you wasting money in that arena rather than the helping of people? Let me give you a really good example. You raise $100 but 90 of it had to go for the fundraiser. You could have just raised $20 with no fundraiser and more money would have went towards the good rather than just this event. We have to know who we're giving to and, and, and how they're using those finances as good stewards. Now, if we do all our homework and we give and we find out that someone was being deceiving, because honestly, you're not going to go to a, a nonprofit or a church and say, hey, are you using this money wisely? They're not going to look at you and go, no, I'm not, I'm, we're buying candy and we're going to the store every other day to buy toys. Nobody's going to say that to you. And so if they put up the facade and we get duped somehow, um, you know, there's not much we could do about that. But if we will do our due diligence, and make sure that people are not some, you know, internet scam just trying to get money out of us, then it's okay to ask those questions. You know, if you're like me, you get emails all the time. I'm a deposed Nigerian prince and I have $87 million in some bank account that I can't free up and I just need an American bank account. I just need your information. I'll I'll give you 10% and then I'll be able to flee this country and, you know, avenge the name of my father and all this other business. That sounds silly, but people fall for that. How do I know that? Because I keep getting the email. I keep getting the the attempt to take my money. My computer knows that it's trash at this point. It knows that it's junk and that's it's it's not legit. But they keep going out because people are getting money from other folks. And so we have to be diligent. We have to know that because we are Christians, we will be targeted. You know, television programs and radio programs, they will target us. They know how to get into our pockets. And the good ones, make sure you know that they're good. And the bad ones, don't feel obligated to give to them. Money reveals. Nothing reveals your heart faster than the opportunity to give. Um, this last weekend we made an appeal, this last Sunday, and I saw people reaching into their pockets super fast. Like they, they, they knew they had something. They were just looking. And for other folks, it's like, man, why did I come this Sunday? I won't name any names. But it reveals where their heart is. And if your heart is not to give, 
then maybe there's a breakdown between the relationship that you have with Jesus. Because the Bible tells us that those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will want to give. They'll seek opportunity to give. They'll look for opportunity to give. I have people ask me sometimes, do you know of anybody who needs this, this, or that? I just want to give. I, I have this idea. I'm going to go give donuts to some people. I want to just deliver them donuts on a Monday morning. Do you know anybody who could just use a pick-me-up? That tells me that the Holy Spirit is in them. And when I meet people and they say, well, I, I, I can't give, and, and they have excuses rather than practical examples, then I realize they're fighting against the Holy Spirit. And I don't judge them. I just I do my best to, to direct them so that they can give. Sometimes it's instantaneous, and sometimes it's months and months and months and months and months. But money reveals who you are. We can lie to ourselves pretty well, but these kind of actions will tell us the truth. So the point of our series is to know the cost and the reward of being like Jesus. So what's the cost of giving? That's very easy. It's going to cost you X amount of dollars, X amount of time, X amount of your, your talent. Um, and it's going to be a sacrifice. It will cost you something. Honestly, giving that costs you nothing probably doesn't mean that much. If, if it costs you sweat, pain, tears, then chances are you're doing it right. Um, I, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago. One of the things I had to learn that was when I asked for a toy from my parents – if I wanted a toy that was 20 bucks, that was like, back in the day, that was like three or four hours of my dad's work. He had to work three or four hours to earn that amount of money to be able to buy me that thing that I wanted so easily and so quickly. I had to learn that there was a price for that. That it was more than just the money in my dad's pocket. It was his time. It was, it was his, his talent and what he was doing. And if he spent that $20 there, that $20 wouldn't be somewhere else. So what is it going to cost us to be like Jesus in giving? It's going to cost us something. We don't, we're not going to get off, we're not going to get off easy. But what's the reward? I think that in all things that involve Jesus, the reward always just greatly outweighs the cost. We're going to be involved in the work of Jesus. That means we're going to give and we're going to see people changed because we gave. We will be involved in part of that somehow. We will be helping somebody. We will be benefiting their life somehow. Their life will go from one station to a better station. Their life will go from here to elevating slightly. Whether that's, whether that's they're able to get caught up in their bills, whether that means somebody has money to research cancer uh, and to do a little more work, whether that means a family has the gas money to um, to go to work every day, we're going to be able to help somebody. We're going to be what Jesus called us to be, the light and the salt of the earth. Light reveals, salt preserves. And we can do that through giving. We can show the world Jesus. And, and on and that same token, we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. They can see practically what it means to be changed by Jesus. When they see that we we have given, or, or even if they don't see it, they will know that somehow they were helped by people who not only love Jesus, but loves them back. 
And ultimately, it's the proof of the Holy Spirit in you. It's one of the, the, the truths or one of the evidences that God indeed is in you. If you tell me that I, I said some prayer at an altar 20 years ago, and you're not generous, calm, loving, peace-loving, you're not uh, uh, friendly, you're not seeking to go to church, you don't seek relationships with those in the church, you don't like reading your Bible, you don't like coming to church, you don't like uh, singing the worship songs, then I would just, I just have to wager that maybe somewhere there's a breakdown. If you tell me I gave my life to Jesus and now I struggle with these things, I'm trying, but gosh, it's really hard, then I'd say, okay, the Holy Spirit's fighting in you. But if you tell me, no, I don't want any of those things, I can have church at home, and I don't have to give, and you know, I don't like those people, they're hypocrites, and yeah, and you're called to love them. There's no, there's no prerequisite in the Bible that says love people unless they're hypocrites. Love people unless you don't like them. That, man, we'd be, life would be easier if that was the command, wouldn't it? Love people as long as, you know, unless you don't like them, then by all means, just shun them for the rest of your life. No, we're called to love those who are unlovable and love our enemies and pray for our enemies. And, and that's the proof of the Holy Spirit in you. Some people, folks will ask me, well, how do I know if I'm saved? Do you love God's people? Do you love his church? Do you love him? Do you love his word? Are you at least, are you at least trying to do that? Then, then you're probably saved. I mean, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But my guess is that if you want those things, you want them because God is changing you, going back to that, that supernatural uh, nature that God has given us. But these are just some of the rewards that we have. In, in being like Jesus in regards to giving. And so as the opportunity comes, you know, um, one of the things I learned early on is to be prepared in giving way before Sunday comes. Because I've done this, the mad scramble. Oh, man, get the money out. As if I was going to go to church and they weren't going to have an offering. That was the, the part that always made me feel stupid. Like, I knew they were going to ask for, for money. What? Why did I just set this aside? Why didn't I fill out the envelope? Met, finally met somebody who said, you know, we get paid and we sit down and we write that check. That's the first check we write. But, wow, that's really smart. Because then they're not fumbling and dropping their Bible on Sunday morning when the pastor finally makes an appeal. And so set aside some time. Do like Paul told the, uh, told the Corinthian church. First day of the week. Payday. Set aside something. Find people to bless. And I've told you this the last few weeks. We have an envelope, and we don't always have um, somebody to bless right in front of us, but we're storing that up for when that time comes. And then we do find people who, you know what, they just, life has just thrown them through the ringer, and they could just really use a meal that they don't have to cook themselves. Or you know what, this couple's sick, and they really like soda and popcorn in a movie. Let's bring that to them. Let's take that out of that fund so that we can um, both function in our home in, in paying our bills and have the ability to give. I mean, we still sacrifice bit by bit, but we're able to, to more efficiently bless, let's put it that way. And then we don't tell anybody. We don't let our left hand knows where our, know where our right hand's doing. I've told you now, and if I forfeited my reward, oh well, I guess I'm teaching you something. But the reward is getting to be like Jesus. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, 
He gave that which was of the greatest value to him to folks who deserve nothing but hell. And I think that if we can keep that framework in mind, giving becomes a lot easier. That we can trust him like the widow did. You know, I'm going to give everything I have, but I know that everything I have is found in him.